We had no alternative to set a course for Echo 3, where someday this vessel, eventually this log, will be found. May God have mercy on our souls. Why don't you cut the crap and get back here and help me? Welcome, everyone. Matt here, and welcome to Star Trek Essentials. Our voyage each week review the very best of the first 50 years of the Star Trek franchise. Joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. Hey, everybody. I'm uh, I'm here, but I'm always hoping that uh, the next leap will take me home. <laughs> Indeed. Maybe we'll, uh, something to think about for the uh, upcoming uh, Quantum Leap Essentials podcast. Coming never. Anyhow, today we're talking about the Star Trek Enterprise episode, Shuttle Pod 1. Pete, for the uninitiated, give us a little background on Star Trek Enterprise, or as the cool kids call it, Enterprise. Yes, Enterprise as it was known for much of its early run. Uh, it was an attempt by uh, UPN to distance itself from the Star Trek brand at the same time, keep everything about the Star Trek brand. So <laughs> in, in, in the uh, long and storied history of Hollywood, it was basically another bad decision. Um, but I digress. Um, Star Trek Enterprise will proudly proclaim it is the seventh and last uh, series that has run um, – bearing the names Star Trek to this point. Um, it debuted very shortly after uh, September 11th, 2001. Um, UPN had finished up the seven um, season run of Voyager and very hastily was looking for what would fill the spot they settled in that they wanted to remain with Star Trek and with Paramount and the rumors of a prequel quickly surfaced and then things got out of control and all sorts of rumors, you know, were, are we going to get teen Kirk and teen Spock? What's going to happen here? And then we hear it's about a, a, uh, a vessel called enterprise and, and people's interests were peaked only to find out it was an enterprise that predates the enterprise we already knew. Um, so there, there was some problems canonically there, and fans were very much concerned. And then the rumors about the theme song began to spread, ah, much song. like a virus or um, a toxin, if you will, <laughs> um, bringing with it nothing but uh distaste and death wow. uh, <clears throat> the that they wanted to shake things up at the same time again maintain what they had which makes very little sense um they decided they would go with a theme song that uh, an opening credit song that had lyrics so all right a little different not your grandpa's Star Trek per se. And you're thinking, all right, well, you know, the original Star Trek song was conceived with lyrics by Alexander Courage. Um, so. Well, wait, wait, wait. Alexander Courage wrote the music. Gene Roddenberry then wrote lyrics, which he never intended to use so that he could then get 50% of the royalties. I, and it, it's come up recently and I had seen some of that stuff. I thought that Courage had, uh, written lyrics to um, Courage any, was not a happy man when he found out he was losing 50% of, of that I can only imagine he wasn't <laughs> I would not be either um, so given that that had been there been out there at one point you're thinking alright let's hear the lyrics maybe they really encapsulate what's going on and then the word surfaced that um, it was a Diane Warren ballad called uh faith of the heart which had actually been featured on the soundtrack to the uh maudlin uh <laughs> and trite um robin williams vehicle patch adams sung originally by rod stewart <laughs> and then people who had hair 
began to suddenly look like Captain Picard because they were tearing it out. And people were really, really worried. And then it debuted and there was the furor over this. And of course, you know, Rick Berman uh, really as keeper of the, the franchise flame and Brandon Braga, who at that point had been elevated to full-fledged toady status, um, were the ones that received the uh, double-barrel phaser brunt of that kind of criticism. Um, I don't think, in retrospect, it's terrible. The, the lyrics uh, certainly fit. Um, it's, it's not a terrible open but the different nature of it certainly, you know, grabbed attention at that time. Um, that and the fact that the show took a little bit right out of the gate to get going. The pilot is very, very watchable. And again, we were, we were, uh, I want to say uh, 10 days to two weeks to maybe slightly over that after um, September 11th that that went down and um, that the show premiered or maybe it was Oh two. Am I remembering this correctly, Matt? Hang on. I'm going to, well, I'll say this while you're looking at this, uh, looking it up. This is a point in Star Trek essentials where certainly the, um, the grandmaster status is certainly conferred to you. I have seen all of uh, classic Trek, all of the movies, all of next generation multiple times Deep Space Nine all the way through. I've seen about half of Voyager, and I've seen very, very little of uh, of Star Trek Enterprise. I certainly remember watching the pilot. Uh, I don't, um, I, I, I don't remember it very well. I remember it kind of was like, you know, Captain Archer's gun shoots like laser blasts, uh, or like you know, a laser laser bullet, as we would see in the uh, the J.J. Abrams movies, right. Um, and I just remember quickly kind of, I remember the, 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 the buzz on the show was, oh, we're so proud that it's, 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 it's a rugged little ship. We're, we're so proud that you can see the beams that if Archer stands up all the way in his ready room, he would bang his head. It's, you know, the, the, the bridge is so deep and so narrow. You know, it's, it, it's, it's, it's deep but not wide. And I just remember being like, this is an underlit, uninteresting set and and so oh, i i i love the set um i really do i just think everything's so modern and new and granted again you're, you're going with a prequel after you know 30 plus years um of you know the original series of course it's going to look new but i just think you know the the move backwards was not in their best interest. And I think it's no surprise that it, it only, you know, lasted. And that's because, you know, the the studio only let it last four years. That fourth season came as a result of, you know, one of the last true fan campaigns to save a show. It would have ended after that third season. They went from next gen to Enterprise in the blu-ray cycle skipping of course well deep space nine and um voyager which happened in between which is you know again kind of spurious pete i mean as as somebody who who came of age during star trek's might in the 1990s i'll tell you exactly why uh paramount is doing that it's the age-old how much money can we get out of these star trek fans thing you know, whether, I mean, the amount of Star Trek stuff I had back in the day, I was young enough to get years out of the figurines and the bridge set, or the bridge play set, and the transporter room play set, and the, the shuttle play set, and, you know, Halloween after Halloween where I was different Star Trek people, and, you know, going to my first convention when I was 16 or 17, and so on and so forth. This is just, hey, Enterprise is HD ready, we just remastered um what in many ways is the crown jewel of 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 the, the whole thing with next generation um we have already previously remastered uh classic trek stuff so i think it's just kind of like they're at a point now where like they're test they're testing the waters slash printing their own money like they don't need to make any changes 
or at least any sub substantive changes to enterprise. So just put the darn thing on Blu-ray. Then if the pile of money is enough, do you then go, all right, now we have 170 episodes of Deep Space Nine to go through. Do we want to do that? After that, do we then do Voyager? I think that's where their head is. True, true. Uh, just fact-checking before, the original air date was September 26, 2001. So on the pilot uh, episode. But enough setup. Let's talk a little bit about this episode itself. Yes, this episode is Shuttle Pod 1. It is the 16th episode of the first season, and in it, we uh, witness that during a Shuttle Pod mission, Tucker and Reed are cut off from Enterprise and become convinced that the starship has been destroyed and that their days are numbered. Peach, we get ready to uh, finally get into the episode? Absolutely. All right, so... You certainly, listeners, will be able to hear a bit of the episode volume in the background. I have the, the volume turned up a little bit. And uh, here's what we're going to do, Pete. And here's what we're going to do, listeners. I have my finger on the play button. I'm going to go three, two, one, zero, And on zero, we'll click play and uh, hopefully make the magic happen here. And just a reminder, by the way, if you are on Netflix, because the way Netflix has ordered stuff, this is actually listed as episode 15 because they've combined the first two episodes right so it's the 16th episode produced but it's episode 15 in the the netflix uh number so with that here we go on zero three two one zero and with that we are underway pete i certainly i mean we were just talking about the effects a second ago these are pretty good effects for, they are i mean you, you can't say oh it's 12 years ago they're good effects on the TV budget that they were working on, and certainly as the show goes on, um, I find their their third season uh, to really, really be excellent uh, from an effects standpoint. Um, the show definitely hits its stride then. Yeah, in in future seasons of Star Trek Essentials, I certainly am interested in uh, in what uh, Enterprise episodes you'll bring because. You know, I, as we've talked about on the podcast before, I think, and if not, we can mention it now, there certainly have been, you know, like back in in the original airing of Deep Space Nine, I was very uh, opposed to the show, didn't enjoy it at all, and now as an adult, look back and just absolutely adore it. So I'm kind of interested to see, um, to see that growth in Enterprise while we uh, discuss it here on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So now, Pete, for, for reference for the uninitiated, I know that the, the episode summary said Tucker and Reed here. Which one's Tucker and which one's Reed, if you'll, if you'll pardon such a silly question of mine? Absolutely. Well, uh, Charles Tripp Tucker is the Enterprise uh, main engineer, chief engineer, and he is the southern gentleman. Uh, uh, he hails from Florida, and that's key later in the life of the series where he's from. And he is toying around right now with the systems on the shuttle pod. And Malcolm Reed, Lieutenant Malcolm Reed, is the weapons officer of the Enterprise. Uh, very different, but um, two guys who they're essentially, you know, to, uh, to take a duo from uh, another Trek series. They are Miles O'Brien and uh, Dr. Bashir of sorts. Ah, well, certainly I know in this episode, there's a little bit of uh, both friction and friendship. So I guess that's uh, quite a good analogy. It, um, I can't help, but looking at some of these effect shots here, as they are starting to discover the, the presumed, uh, you know, final wreckage of enterprise. Um, the way the shuttle pod is acting certainly kind of reminiscent of um, of uh, the way spaceships are treated in Battlestar Galactica. But, Pete, I think we have to hold that thought. We just need to breathe in the song here for a minute. Definitely. Turn the volume up a little bit. Get out of our lighters. It, it, it definitely... I don't know. You just look at this and go, I get the concept, and it's a lovely concept. The, the visuals here are great. I love the visuals. Do we have a guitar slide coming? I think so. <clears throat> oh, yeah. There we go. How? Why? I mean, I know I know, these are questions that we can't exactly answer, but it's it's tough. It really is. Like I said, it, it has grown on me. Um, 
but it was groan inducing early on. Right. Yeah, I de- I definitely yeah I watched I definitely watched the pilot episode first couple episodes, um, and I just remember sitting there going, "What? What is going on? Why is there, you know?" I got out of it um, early in that first year. Um, I had commitments on the night that it was uh, running, and these were the pre-DVR days, at least in my household. And, uh, you know, I think I got the first couple episodes in, one in particular that comes after the pilot, which is, um, I think it's called Fight or Flight. It is terrible. Um, (laughs) It's really bad. It's... I don't know. I mean, here we are in the ready room. I, I don't know. You know, it's tough. There have been times, Pete, um, uh, I guess I can't help but think of our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast where, you know, we've talked about how some of the earlier Marvel movies you now see through the lens of later ones and later successes. I just remember being so absolutely opposed to particularly the ready room and underlit and kind of, you know, steals and grays and that sort of thing. But but now it's it's um, it's so reminiscent of Battlestar Galactica and so reminiscent of the Deep Space Nine color palette that it's just a little bit more a little bit more familiar. So it's you know another kind of anachronistic weird anachronistic thing is how they essentially have taken the the next generation era. Um, uniform idea you know of kind of something going on in the shoulders and kind of the the rank in the neighborhood of the neck you know they have they have that here but it's now um it seems kind of out of sync with where we'll see the classic trek stuff it's a hodgepodge and i get the realism you know a very big deal is made early on in the run of no transporters or that they're very experimental and very dangerous. Um, We don't have phasers yet. I think, as you mentioned before, we have phase pistols. Um, There are no photon torpedoes. The top speed is a very low warp and actually enterprise is the first warp four or whatever, you know, number they give it at this point. Um, uh, designation. So, you know, it's, it's the wild West, but it's the wild West that we already know gets discovered and, and much safer. So, (laughs) you know what I mean? It was, it was definitely, and, and I get it, you know, to see the, the infancy of, um, you know, uh, mankind in these deeper space voyages, but at the same time, you know, we, we know where it goes. So I think there was very little dramatically that could be done. You know, when Enterprise works at its best in the third season and the fourth season, it is essentially a valentine to everything that has come before. Certainly something to look forward to there. Um, As is the presence of Jolene Blaylock on this show. It's a distinct memory I have is watching (laughs) that pilot episode. Isn't there some some sort of uh, like, oh, no, emergency beam up and we have bad microbes on us or we have alien goo and it's like quick you know jolene playlock needs to start to take off her clothes while you know sopping wet do i remember that basically correctly <laughs> like they need to stand around for a while in in decontamination or something yes so she always uh always holds a special place in my heart those scenes continue to work on rewatch. In fact, when I watch them, they're interesting, interesting, really interesting, really interesting, not so much interesting anymore. <laughs> I guess it's an interesting, uh, interesting bit of interestingness. Um, I, I don't know. You know, it's uh, obviously at the conclusion of the commentary, we will, um, we will discuss more of you know what makes this essential and, and certainly you know i mean I've, I've seen this episode previously in preparation for the podcast um and maybe it's unfair of me to kind of be so nitpicky but it's like i look at the jumpsuits and it's like it does appear that there's a there's a tinge of purple to them and it just seems like a weird color choice particularly since for me personally it took me a while to get used to the um next generation movie uniforms that are you know black with kind of the gray the gray shoulders 
um, that then carried over to Deep Space Nine. It, you know, it took me a while to get used to that, but I did get used to it. It kind of did kind of look like a little bit more of a, uh, I don't know, a big boy uniform. Um, and here we're kind of, everybody's in like purple jumpsuits. It's just, again, maybe I'm being, Pete, am I being nitpicky? I don't think you're being nitpicky. And again, you know, the, the difficulty of a prequel is we know what's going to happen, but we also know that, you know, all the gadgets and everything that's going to emerge because of that. So this kind of forced, ooh, the the transporter will turn you inside out. You know, the, the yes. tension's just never fully there. I distinctly remember watching that episode when it aired. I don't know which one. Obviously, in the first couple of episodes where they're like, the transporter to bring up a box of hammers? I don't know, Captain. It's like, oh, we got to embrace it. See how it is. And I think later in that episode, somebody gets beamed up and there's like bits of tree in their face or something. Yes, that may be uh, fight or flight, the okay. one I was referring to, where they they beam down to a planet and essentially become really scared because of the scare uh, particles in the atmosphere. It's <laughs> it's really bad. <laughs> Coming off of a pretty watchable, um, if a little long pilot, because it is a two hour uh, situation. Right. Uh, it it's a little it's a little tough early on. Um, with the release of the Blu-ray recently, um, some interesting stuff emerged. Um, if the producers had had their way, they would not have launched Enterprise as a vessel until late, if not the end of the first season. They really wanted oh, wow. it to be an earned experience. ER was very much um, on their minds with the... Um, the the nature of the arcs the the multi episode type of arcs which only get better and better in enterprise again later in its run um but the type of thing where you know th they wanted to uh you know have it be earthbound for a while which you know you want to talk about shaking things up and and doing a different uh different type of star trek that certainly uh would have been more of a creative choice than I don't know the song. Well, and, and I mean, you think back to what I think has has reached its its uh, deserved reputation as the best of the Star Treks in terms of Deep Space Nine. I mean, that's a show that only uh, only truly started to have kind of an elegant um, setting. Uh, and, and not elegant to the viewer, but kind of elegant to the characters in like the second or third sec second or third season. Um, you know, particularly when they add that new theme song where it's like, hey, there, it's not just the dusty town in the middle of nowhere. It really is now the crossroads of, of oh so much. So, uh, you know, how it is that Deep Space Nine was so great and so serialized and willing to do all the things that weren't the Star Trek mold but then got made with the quote-unquote second-string people who then finished Next Generation, and then the first-string people finished Next Generation, some went to the movies, other went to Voyager, finished Voyager, finished this, and it's like, did you learn nothing from Deep Space Nine? Well, the answer is no, because as as Enterprise is, is um, losing viewers throughout the four seasons, I know you said it, it gets better and better as the seasons go on, but as it's losing viewers to a point that it gets canceled with 2.5 million viewers a week uh at a point where next gen you know the next generation finale had 25 million viewers um you know meanwhile you have battlestar you have firefly shows that maybe weren't doing much better in the ratings but were just can you imagine if it was can you imagine if joss whedon got to do firefly mixed in with the you know in the star trek universe can you imagine if battlestar was after the first great Klingon war and they're on the run, you know, that, that kind of aesthetic, it, it's, it's, it, it's a lost opportunity. Definitely. I mean, it, we can look back again in retrospect and, and think about these things, but, you know, to evaluate them for what they are when they were, I think is, is truly important as well. Yeah. And I mean, to, to kind of get back to this episode, we're now in a scene back on shuttle pod one, um, I think the episode does a good job without pushing it to kind of say, hey, we have two chronologies here. We have 
hey, we're going to meet them back at the asteroid. Oh, look, they're all dead. And then we have, without any kind of great, you know, three days ago kind of, uh, you know, a flashback, you know, dare I say it, Lost fans, but any kind of, without any great flashback flourish, it's clear, like, hey, here's Enterprise with uh, Captain Archer checking out the damage and so on and so forth. And, like, pretty early on, you're realizing, hey, they're actually okay, but is this going to be two ships passing in the night? where uh, you know where where these guys are at risk of dying these guys are going to die just because there's a miscommunication going on so it certainly is a compelling uh it's a compelling setup it's a, it's a good episode it really is it's a solid episode and as a bottle episode you know this is a function of a lot of you know uh first season shows particularly with a high effects budget and you know, we, we bring up the point about the effects early on and to contrast, you know, the, the few shots we get with a lot of human drama with two guys stuck in a shuttle pod set. And, you know, for this to be known as the fan favorite that it is, um, particularly amongst the first season, I think uh, really speaks to the heart of what this show became when it hit on all cylinders. I mean, isn't that usually the way these bottle episodes are, though, where it's just like, you know, the, the the best concept of a Star Trek show is lots of effects and lots of makeup and this and that, the other. And then you reach a point where you go, uh, we got to do this on the cheap. So you go, uh, all right, uh, the Enterprise D is completely empty except for Picard and a bunch of bad guys do die hard on the Enterprise with a lot of low lights and... You know, a steady cam and a director and a sound guy and Patrick Stewart and run around in the shadows. And it's brilliant. Um, or this, you know, as you said, a, a beloved episode from the first season, because you say to these, you say to the writers and you say to these two actors, find the human drama here. You know, the shot I'm looking at this exact moment where you can see over uh, uh, over his shoulder, you can see the, the shuttle pod window. You know, it's black cloth with shiny gems on it. It's not even it's not even moving. You don't even have a guy running the hand crank to make it look like they're moving. It's about these two guys saying, hey, you know, Trip is trying to, I don't know, is trying to push off the fact that he's going to gonna die. And Reed is there saying, I want to do all my perfect, you know, final letters to all my loves uh, so I can kind of put the put the exclamation point at the end of my life. It's absolutely compelling. It's It's good stuff. It is, and it builds the rapport between these two characters at a time in the series, 16 episodes in, where you're really starting to establish no longer character, but relationships. Now, this is a fun um, fake out here, where you go to commercial, you come back, and, oh, they've been rescued, they're okay, and you go, oh, yeah, well, I, of course I knew they were going to be rescued. Like, duh, they're not going to kill off two people. What is, this isn't, you know, Denise Crosby here. Um, and uh, it certainly is a, um, it's a nice, it's a nice fake out, particularly what we're, what we're heading to right here, which is, uh, which is uh, some good stuff indeed. So, and, uh, an enjoyable scene ahead of us to be, to be, to be sure. So, Pete, do I recall correctly that um, our our favorite female first officer here, uh, <laughs> although some people might put you know the original number one ahead of her, uh, not me though, um, it was her presence was kind of very much um, kind of picking up the. Uh, it was a continuation of hey the Vulcans are the ones that, that initiated first contact and there was kind of the the intent was to be a little bit of a of a through line there. Well, the um, the Vulcans are really set up in the early going of this show as an impediment to um, it's not even Starfleet yet. Um, you know, it, it's it's an evolving type of thing. And, um, you know, that's the kind of drama that they talked about teasing out over the course of that first season if they had done that that it would be constantly pushing the Vulcans. We got to get to space. We got to get to space. We got to get to space. 
and the Vulcan's saying, hey, hey, hang on now. And I believe it's established in the uh, the pilot. It's been 75 years since first contact or whatever the number is. Right. And it's like, really? Wouldn't we wouldn't we be uh, wouldn't we be further further down the road by now? But they, they really made him earn it. And I think the execs were right in that, you know, while I applaud the boldness that, you know, wow, you would have had a, a show about, you know, deep space that for a first season would have stayed on earth um and and i would really like to see that yeah um you know i think the premise would have folded in upon itself wait where's this enterprise what enterprise are they going on already can they get underway with their enterprise it it would have been too difficult to balance for a franchise in particular that was running out of steam Yes, the franchise was running out of steam. And I know that the day that Enterprise was canceled, Ron Moore wrote a blog post entitled, still sticks with me after all these years, entitled uh, Star Trek Returns, Star Trek Finally Returns to the Fans, or something close to that. And his notion basically being Paramount doesn't own Star Trek. I mean, it, it, it owns Star Trek, but Paramount, Paramount doesn't really own Star Trek. Star Trek is owned by the fans. You know, in the 70s, the fans kept it alive with, with fiction and with uh, the conventions and that, that, you know, just as the field must return to nature occasionally to be renewed, so too must Star Trek. And yes, this was a series that was, um, I think, you know, it was being mismanaged or, you know, by by the studio, by the network, by those concerns. Uh, I'll disagree with you, Pete. I mean, look, you can't get around the fact that you're doing a preview, uh, a, a prequel episode, pardon me, a prequel series, and that you know where things are going to end up. I, I agree that's a dramatic concern, a dramatic problem. That said, if you're going to commit to it, I mean, how great would it be to be, especially if, you know, I was into the whole kind of, you know, technical end of next generation you know the, bought the technical manual and read through it and leafed through it and all that i think it would have just been a ton of fun to be like you know hey this is where we're going to put the captain's chair soon and you see that you know six episodes later to finally launch you know in episode 20 or episode 24 and go i mean look it's so suitable now we're kind of so serialized now that um it it just feels natural, but I think I, I can understand the network resistance then. Um, you know, wrong time, wrong place. I don't know. I mean, to kind of do a adventure of the week in two thousand one sounded like a good idea in two thousand one. Then, you know, Battlestar starts to change that. Lost starts to change that. Even you know some of your soapier stuff like Desperate Housewives and you know other shows like that. Grey's Anatomy to start to say you need to tune in every week and you need to keep track because this is a this is, has ups and downs and lefts and rights um so star trek's always been very slow to change though and the irony that it's a show that is so different from what is typically on tv um you know when they fell into you you think there are essentially you know 500 hours of tv between what had been done with the original series and then the other spinoffs before you get to um, Enterprise. So, you know, while they did get into multiple uh, episode arcs in both Deep Space Nine and then in Voyager, they were still fighting the battle of trying to justify those. So when you get a season-long arc... Um, in season three of Enterprise, that was truly revolutionary. But again, none of that happens without the critical success of an episode like this about two characters who, not yet friends, think they're going to freeze to death and die. And, and just to clarify, when you said 500 hours, you mean Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, right? Yes, the interim. So yeah. So, so it's that. You're, yeah. Yeah. Just it took me a second to, to 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 catch on there that this crew of people, this this Star Trek production, this Paramount regime, Paramount regime, 
the, you know, etc. Yeah, these people have already done 500 episodes. I mean, it's an argument for new blood. It's an argument for not pissing off Ron Moore and having him, you know, go do G versus Z on USA and then, like, maybe he'll dust off some other sci-fi thing. You know, it's 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 a shame because, you know, to, to truly bring it back to this episode, you know, we had the scene before the commercial break where they're, um, they're using the mashed potatoes to to fix the uh, the little micro-fissures in the hull. Um, and they've kind of had their yelling moment, and now they're kind of calming down a bit. We have Reed here now about to start uh, uh, to start to shave himself in, in the, the finest British fashion of, uh, you know, always looking your best, always being at, uh, you know, ship-shape condition, even 6, 12, 18 hours away from your, your very uh, calculatable doom. Um this is an episode that's working. It's an episode that's working in a formula that isn't. So. <laughs> that's a nice little nice little hook there, you know. You're shaving, but you're going to die, and your, your beard is going to continue to grow. Which is actually not true. Really? <laughs> it's not. It's a, it's a fallacy. Uh, well, you know. Same with fingernails. He is a Florida man, after all. Although voiding yourself does happen. <laughs> well, that's good, I guess. In a, in a vacuum of space. <laughs> It'll float around. <laughs> this is true. This is true. So. I'm always... This scene here with Archer and T'Pol, I don't know. I, I never watched much of Quantum Leap, but I always feel like, you know, he's always going to be the guy from Quantum Leap. He's always going to be trying to get home. I, I know, know. he took this, um, this endeavor very, very seriously, and any story you ever hear connected um, to this show about him is nothing but magnanimous... And he had a tradition where he shook the hand of every person on the set every day he filmed. Wow. Uh, you know, but yeah, there's, there's fighting out from you're far more recognized in that other role to the point where Matt, we have seen him and the other captains sans the current captain, uh, you know, Christopher, um, Pine. Pine. Um, <laughs> you would say Christopher Pike, didn't you? It's it's tough. Beep, it's a tough beep. one sometimes. Yeah, I, I would I would beep twice for no. <laughs> um, you know, to see them and, you know, he gets a lot of fans who come to see him for Quantum Leap. You know, oh, oh, you were in Star Trek, but let's talk about did you ever get home or, yeah. or whatever the heck, you know. Um, so I, I think that was tough. And, you know not done a ton of research trying to remember back in the day, like who were the other choices they, they bandied around or whatever. And, you know, the decision was obviously made. We want to go with, you know, that, that strong male presence. We want to go with somebody who's got the chops, you know, they had learned after Voyager. Oh, we, we, we botched that one at first. And, um, you know, that, that captain position is, is not taken lightly. And obviously you've got to want the chair as much as the chair wants you. Right. Uh, I know you said kind of that, you know, traditional guy. I just feel like he's, his performance of Archer and kind of um, perhaps just the persona that he puts forth uh, acting in general, he's kind of so congenial that I almost have a hard time believing he could you know, dress down a junior or a senior officer who who needs it, you know, that he could kind of deliver tough love, you know. Uh, I'm sure there's episodes where he does, don't get me wrong, but it, it um, I don't know, he's just, again, you certainly are the, the, the master uh, concerning these, these um, Enterprise episodes, and it, um, it seems like you have more confidence in him with the more episodes that you've seen. I'll certainly defer to you. He's a good captain. He is. Uh, Trip was the the breakout 
um, actor and character on this version of Star Trek. Um, you know, he gets featured very early and then the character takes off um, to Paul again as the eye candy. And then, you know, uh, Lieutenant Laredo, the, the helmsman uh, of, uh, I'm, obviously I'm, I'm mixing my Galaxy Quest in there, but Anthony, <laughs> uh, Anthony Montgomery is essentially Lieutenant Laredo. <laughs> Um, you know, they get their, they get their couple things, you know, and, and Hoshi, you know, shows up once in a while, but it did very much become the, the trip to Paul Archer show in, in the spirit of the old triumvirate of, you know, Kirk, Spock and McCoy. Um, but you know, the swagger, the accent, the everyman, you know, that, that's what, what trip brought. And, um, you know, certainly came with some controversy at the end of the show when they decided, uh, you know, we'll kill the character off in the finale and uh, then completely uh, dishonor the memory of the show itself and make the entire thing a holodeck simulation that um, Riker and Troy are having. Yeah, I mean, the... <laughs> poor enterprise that had to fight for life for all four years i mean their, it, their finale becomes a franchise finale which i think is is a difficult uh way to get at it yeah but as you say you know whether you have 25 million viewers or 2.5 million viewers it it people people loved the show whatever whatever number there was and to to say to do that final episode, that infamous final episode where you say, we're actually not giving you a finale because, you know, we, the production crew, we need our finale. It's just, you know, hey, I'm just tuning in to Enterprise to have a good time and I can revisit, you know, your production past with like my whole VHS tape collection there. You know, like the need to do to do all that um, is, is, I don't know, it was just not the way to go. And, you know, speaking here, Tripp's just been talking about obituary. You know, I, I think that left a, a bad taste. And I know that that's been talked about, um, you know, since the shelving of the show, you know, that that's what the producers regret the most was making it, you know, a Star Trek finale rather than an Enterprise finale. Um, it's interesting to note that the episodes, the two episodes right before the finale feature, uh, Peter Weller feature RoboCop, uh, in a bad guy role. And when he got the role in, uh, the most recent Star Trek film, Star Trek in the darkness, there was a lot of, wow, is he, is he going to play the same guy? Right. And, and that's obviously not the case given the, uh, well, given he's not playing uh, Admiral Marcus, I assume. He's not. But when he was originally cast, uh, they said he was playing a businessman. And what had Weller played in those two episodes? A businessman. So uh, instantly people were like, oh, man. And look, you know, th that's where, you know, as keepers, current keepers of the, the franchise flame, you know, uh, Abrams and Orky and Kurtzman and Lindelof have honored what's come before. You know, they make references to Admiral Archer's prized beagle and, you know, things along that line um, in order to, uh, you know, touch on all points of the franchise. But Enterprise never truly got the full opportunity, I think, to stand on their own. By the way, the scene that we're in now... Um probably a, a an easy production decision but not an easy one to live through you can actually see their breath uh, i'm assuming that's not they're not going to the trouble of doing it computer generated i'm assuming they just kind of you know maybe put a put a tarp around the set i mean this is obviously a, a, a you know a, a set that you can kind of snap together you know so it's enclosed pumped in some you know air conditioning in there to actually get that so i'm assuming you have actually cold actors who are trying to keep warm you know it's probably iced tea in the in the bottle there, but, uh, it's a nice touch. It really is. Netflix not having the, uh, the extras like DVD and, and Blu-ray can offer us. 
breath, but uh, I could be wrong. It's been a while since I watched that. Fair enough. Digital digital breath then. Well, I, I stand corrected. So I guess I guess it was an easy production decision. Hey, boys, keep doing what you've been doing. We're going to have the, the guys paint some stuff in later on uh, for your cold breath. So fair enough. So here now we definitely have uh, kind of rounding into the uh, the middle of the fourth act. We have the, the prospect of hope coming to us. <laughs> On the reference of a desert island and a lost at sea movie, uh, definitely making me think of another TV series that there <laughs> a few years after this one. Now, Pete, I have to ask, and maybe, again, is this me standing you know from the point of view of myself at my teens high on next generation the ball caps is it a marketing move it's a weird cut to the cap um it almost looks kind of like civil war-esque it's um, not and i'm going to tell you why i know that i have tried to purchase a cap like that and they don't make it uh wow. so it was not i want to say it was like a cast and crew thing and they thought you know what this works in the the day and age that we're doing and uh we're just gonna go with it i don't know that I necessarily agree with that decision but i guess i'm not producing star trek for a reason you know they wear it very early on and the pilot um archer has one on in a shuttle pod as they're looking over the enterprise before they launch it mm -hmm. so it's kind of done with a Oh, all right. You know, like you're on the crew and you've got the cruise or you've got the ship's registry number on your ball cap. Okay. Um, and then you see them don them, uh, you know, early on in the series, they, they go away. Um, you know, I, I think it's kind of a, it's a decent nod. And again, you know, we're, we're retconning so many of the things that we knew, you know, the idea of, you know, uh, ball caps on uh on kirk's enterprise is is heresy absolutely it is i i don't know i'm i'm i understand where they're coming from is it makes sense but then that's you know that's part of the tension of enterprise which is kind of being like you know what kirk's you know kirk's pda that you know he'd have to sign that was great back in the 60s, but now we have stuff that's better than that in the year 2000. So we have to update it. It's just kind of like, yeah, I know that there have been various discussions, um, let's say in the 90s for, you know, uh, do you reboot James Bond back into the 60s? Like, what do you do? And obviously they, you know, have decided to keep it, to keep it uh, modern. Do you... Do you somehow like would Enterprise have been a better show if you just committed to we're doing the voyages of Captain Robert April and kind of do it as a complete nostalgia thing where it's the it's the classic Trek set, maybe spruced up, maybe ready for HD, maybe with some of those, you know, the the the, the blurry, uh, not blurry, but the you know, like the blinky screens and whatnot, just a little updated and go. Guys, there's not moving screens in the background of this box console, but it's going to be moving screens in the background of, of, of you know, uh, on this and just kind of deal with it. I, I don't know. I don't know. I think the aesthetic really came last. Um, you know, the, the decision, they were for some reason uh, fixated on doing a prequel, though. And, you know, Star Trek, though there's a lot of time travel throughout, you know, the uh, 700 hours of Star Trek, okay? Um, Star Trek at its best has always been looking forward. And it's the idea here that, uh, you know, this show, again, the love letter that it is to the original series and nods to, you know, the other series throughout, you know, that they get into, particularly in those last two years, um, it needed to go forward. And therein is the, the compromise with the whole temporal Cold War and all that stuff. And Braga went on the record lately as saying that was the biggest encumbrance in what they dealt with as far as writing this series. The first two season, you know, dalliance with the temporal Cold War and future guy as he's 
you know, dubbed by the fans who at one point there was talk it might be Kirk. Um, it could be somebody else. It's never answered. It's It hangs out there. And just another reason that, you know, that was another executive saying, well, you're going to do a prequel, but you're going to have something from, you know, past where we were in Trek. Yeah. I, I mean, it certainly speaks to the the bold and and I think rather elegant decision made for the J.J. Abrams movies where you get to simultaneously keep everything that you had before it and completely wash it away with that with that decision to you know to send uh, to send Nero back in time. So now you get all the blinky screens and all the iPhone influenced design that you want on the bridge. You get to have a completely modern looking enterprise. Uh, you know, modern to our eyes in the 21st century, you get to have that because, man, these guys, they got they got a view in the future from 100 years in the future, and that's completely changed technology, and it's completely changed arms races, and so on and so forth. You know, it's, it's really a great solution. Um, I dare uh, say, Matt, you have better brains guarding the franchise now than you did then. Yeah. I mean, I remember seeing... Star Trek Generations with my uncle opening weekend, and he, he's you know he's somebody who watched classic Trek when it aired, uh, and him just looking at me when Kirk died, and just this look of he just shot daggers out of his eyes. And I remember him saying that weekend he went home and started taping over his Next Generation VHS tapes, you know that he had taped off TV. Did was I as upset about it? No, but you know what? I hadn't lived with the character for over twenty five years. Uh, was that the right choice? Was having Spock show up in um, uh, that two-part episode? I want to say Redemption. That's not it. But the you know Spock on Romulus and him saying, oh, "Enough of this cowboy diplomacy. Let's grow up. You know we have to do things differently." And you're going, um, "You just took a slam at six movies and seventy episodes. Um, how does that make sense?" It's it's a weird relationship that Rick Berman and that that crew has with the franchise. And I think, as you said before, the the current uh, keepers of the flame certainly have an understanding that they need to work really hard to do their own thing while respecting what has come before them. And it's a challenge. And that's why, again, I feel that, you know, Star Trek belongs first and foremost on the TV as big fans of the movies as I am. I came to them first. Um, but it needs to be on TV and it needs to be set past any old ties we have to it, you know, throw us 250 years down the road and, uh, let it start up. Then you can always honor what came before and talk about Kirk and Picard and Cisco and Janeway and Archer, but you free yourself up for new fresh stories back when the the jj abrams you know star trek had come out the first one it was my hope that they might decide to do like a kelvin tv show Mm -hmm. um just because i felt like then you're not stepping on the toes a you get to kind of be prequely to um the movies so you kind of get to stay out of the way of whatever whatever you might want to be concerned about there you also kind of get to be a little bit i don't want to say cheesy but it's like you know you're not interacting much with the Klingons, you're not really into, you know, it's kind of like a slightly smaller universe that Kirk is born into. Um, and uh, I wish they had gone that route. Obviously, they didn't, you know, it could have been, obviously, you know, several years before uh, before the Kelvin is destroyed, so. Right. Anyhow, Pete, here, we, uh, yes, we're, we're indeed back in sickbay again. I think, could we call this the stinky reprise? <laughs> With the uh, spray on uh, facial hair, is it off to look? I mean, I'm watching it on a pretty good TV. Is it? Is it? Not I up think to snuff? that's that would seem to be spray on facial hair. It doesn't. Okay, look, yeah. It it doesn't look rooted. I think some of the scenes on in their moments of desperation, um, I, I think, might have been actually real beard, particularly on Trip. But right. um, uh, I see a little. Up, up against the profile of the pillow there, I see some hair sticking out, although I don't know, is spray on just kind of like 
Oh, they they have a it's a whole system. They used it on Lost. They used it on other shows as well. Well, it's certainly, I don't know. Trip's Trip's beard definitely looks legit to me, but I guess I guess who can who can tell? Well, with that Pete, we kind of the episode starts to wrap up. Sleep well, my friend. The camera cranes up. Uh, all are all are happy and good to go, and we start to delve into the instrumental version of the uh of the uh <laughs> theme so pete what is it about this episode is that in your mind you as the the enterprise expert what is it that makes this episode an essential why did you choose this uh and me and my in my ignorance of uh of uh enterprise say sure thing pete sounds good <laughs> it's it's again it's the pairing of the friends um, Star Trek at its heart for, you know, the, the want of the exploration has always been about the exploration of the human heart. And, you know, those places we find within us when tested and to have two guys who aren't friends get stranded, think they're going to die, uh, think they've lost their entire crew and to really, you know, sow the seeds of, a very strong uh, friendship um, made this an easy choice. And, you know, it does speak as well to, uh, you know, I think that the strongest parts of the Star Trek franchise, which is when you can, I won't, I won't quite say go serial, but when you can show character growth, you know, Star Trek two to three to four, though, you know, that, that kind of, and then to kind of tack on six in there, there's a through line um, in many, many ways, not even in many, many ways. I mean, there's a, an obvious through line with the Spock stuff. There's an obvious through line with, you know, I've never trusted Klingons. I never will. I can't forgive them for the death of my boy. Um, and we we like characters dealing with consequences. The notion that Classic Trek was, uh, you know, a, all standalone episodes, that it was essentially an anthology with familiar characters each week um, was novel at the time. But to see an episode like Shuttle Pod 1 where... There is growth in in the characters, and to end on that, you know, that quite note, uh, you know, sleep well, my friend, uh, it, that, that quite nice note. It's um, it does speak to the best of to the best of Star Trek, indeed. In in a first season in particular, where you know we're getting into the strangeness of space and going down to planets for the first time, and and mankind is out there, you know apart from the logistics of having to go to a bottle episode because we're doing all these, you know, strange setups, it was logical just in terms of slowing the pace down and really bringing it back to uh, a relationship-centric type of story. That's what it's all about, man. So, Pete, next week we'll be talking Star Trek Beyond, but uh, that means that we are on the home stretch of July. And, uh, dear listeners, let's hear what you have to say for our, our August slate of episodes. Uh, I know, Pete, only in the last week we've gotten uh, some votes tallied by our pal Henry. Uh, so, Pete, how can people lobby for their their essential star trek episodes well you can hit us up on twitter at fantastic geek with a ph all one word you could let us know on our facebook page facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek again one word with the ph like it and then let us know what you'd like us to do uh you can tweet at us individually matt you are I am at Looking Back Lost. But Pete, the real treat is when people get to tweet with Pete. How can people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-8028. Followers. Can't be wrong. So Pete, you mentioned that Fantastic Geek is on Twitter. I believe you mentioned Facebook. Just a reminder, we are also on uh, Instagram and you can get in touch at uh, fantasticgeek at gmail.com as well. Pete, is there any other, is there smoke signals? Can people, <laughs> can people, uh, you know, can, can, can they set their communicators to some other, other frequency? Well, we're working on making a, a tum tryst, 
Um, but until uh, Pinterest and Tumblr have a child, uh, we won't have one. Wow. Given that the audience of those two are wildly different, and uh, for one of them, it's about uh, the XXX uh, in large part, that would be an interesting mashup indeed. But I digress. So Pete, as mentioned before, we'll be back uh, next week for Star Trek Beyond and then uh, continue back into the, the series of series. Absolutely. So with that, I will say goodbye to all our listeners and uh, I, I can't wait to go see this movie, Pete. Uh, I've seen it and it's great. Oh, wow. Alrighty. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.